Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. I just want to apologize again for the poor audio quality with this particular podcast, but I hope you'll still listen because this is an introductory sermon for the rest of the series, and I think it'll be really helpful for the sermons that are going to come the rest of this month and the next month. Thanks again for listening. We're going to start a series, and this series is called The Powerful and the Powerless. Uh, this is actually um, a painting that a, a girl from my youth group, who she's now out of college, but I, I asked her if she would maybe help me with this, and she made this painting so that we could uh, use it for our, our series. But also, by the way, another girl from my youth group who goes to Tarleton is here this morning, so be sure and come say hi to her before church ends. Um, but uh, anyway, this series, I want to I kind of tell you a little bit about it to set it up. But um, how many of us, when you grow up, we want to be successful? I think that's a very okay thing for us to say. And that's an okay thing for us to say for our kids. We want our kids to grow up and be successful. And I think for many of us, if we saw a YouTube video or we saw a book, that was titled, How to Become a Successful Wife, or How to Become a Successful Real Estate Agent, or How to Become a Successful Father, or Banker, or Minister. For many of us, we might be intrigued to click on it depending on what we want to do with our career or with our life. If I saw a book on the shelf of someone that I really respected that was titled, How to Become a Great Father, you know, I, I might I have way too many books that I still haven't read yet, but that would be something that might intrigue me. How to become a successful uh, father or husband or preacher, all those things would I'd be interested in. Another phrase that we throw around a lot is, and in my opinion, we live in a culture where it's very important that we win at things. Any of you who've spent almost any time in business, you've probably heard your company say, what does, it look, what does a win look like for us? Obviously in sports, a win is pretty translatable to who scored more points in the game. But in life, we try and quantify what does a win look like? What does a win for us uh, look like? For a teacher, a win is probably a certain number of your students passing the state testing. Or a win is, uh, in, in your company, is a certain amount of revenue that you earn for your company in sales during that time period. And in, in many ways, even though you know, we often think of sports when we think of winning, there are many ways in which we want to be people who win at life, where we come out on top in our field that is our profession or in being really successful with our, our family doing well. These words, being successful and winning, they are uh, very popular in our culture, something that we all like a lot. And frankly, uh, I don't blame you. I think I grew up with quite a bit of my life being someone that I had the mentality, if we're going to make this into a competition, I feel pretty good about my chances to beat you at it. I was kind of that kind of person growing up. I had that type of mentality. And in all these things, the question that we often have to face is how do we get to this place of being successful, of winning? And there are lots of words that we use that we can you know, throw out there uh, that we'll often say in our culture of how to be successful and how to win. But the one word for me that summarizes all of this is we have to get power. You might be thinking, what do you mean get power? If you listen throughout this whole series, you're going to see what I mean. But this series is one in which I want to look at, and I want us to say together, what the Bible says about power. 
Because in so many situations, the way you become successful is by accumulating enough money, enough notoriety, enough status, enough whatever, that you have the power to leverage that to succeed at what you want to succeed at. Now I'm with you if you understand what I'm saying. You know, I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but many of us have been in a situation before where all the parents in the crowd are like, why is that kid playing over these other kids? And everybody knows that that person's parent has accumulated enough power that the coach has to kind of give that kid a chance to play before the other kids because, you know, they're the biggest donor to our, you know, this or that, or, you know, that person, you really, we really don't want to make a scene and have drama, so let's just let their kid play. You know, you, you know what I'm saying? Okay. That is an example where that person's success has been about accumulating enough power to be able to leverage that for what they want. And I want to, I want to tell you this up front. This series is going to be maybe eight to ten weeks, we'll see. But this is a very important series for me in my life. Uh, the person I've told you all about before, my parents are my two biggest spiritual influences in my life, by far. And I'm, I can't, I wanted to be a preacher because I wanted to be my dad when I grew up. But the person who's had the biggest spiritual impact in my life besides my parents is a guy named Randy Harris, who many of you maybe know or don't know. But he's a professor at ACU. And I remember my freshman Bible class, one of the most impactful sermons. I ever heard and one of the most impactful lessons that I had never thought about before is just how much in scripture we see Jesus taking everything that we think of power, everything that we think of what it means to win at life and to be successful and turning it upside down in every situation. Andrew's uh, communion talk was very timely as he started out by saying we have this God who we're told starts out in glory, Jesus. And by the end of the Christ hymn, ends up not in glory. And what I want to encourage you is that if you want to learn more about me and more of how, now this shouldn't be your goal, but one of the things that I'll tell you is this series is like a passion project for me. This is something that's a big deal to me. And so uh, if you would, turn in your Bibles. We're going to start off with probably one of the easiest places to see this dynamic at work, and it's in Philippians 2. Philippians 2, starting in verse 5. This is one of our first uh, passages that we have where uh, we actually have a song. Uh, many people believe that what we're about to read is one of the very first Christian songs. Something that Christians, would, when they would get together, would sing these words. And Paul is quoting this song in his letter that the Philippian church would be familiar with. Paul and his co-worker Timothy, they wrote this letter. And while Paul was in prison, and he loves this church in Philippi, it's one of his nicest letters. He, he just goes on and on about how much he loves these people. And one of the things, though, that's going on is there are some tensions. I'm saying there's no such thing as a church that doesn't have certain times where people aren't getting along the way Christ would want them to get along. And Paul is about to implore the readers, listen, I want y'all to get along. I want y'all to care about each other and treat each other the way that you should. And the way that he does this is by introducing this and reading the words from this Christ hymn. So let's read it together, and we'll talk about it for a little while. Roman, uh, Philippians 2, starting in verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, 
he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him and to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, and that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So this song that Paul quotes, this would honestly, this would be like if I was preaching a sermon and I started quoting Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace is a song that was written that we all at some level have probably heard the song Amazing Grace. So it's kind of cool that Paul is saying, I want to make a point. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to use this song that we sing all the time to make this point. And the point he's trying to make is the way that we're going to get along together is by having the same mindset as Christ. And he doesn't say that means that you should be really kind and gracious. He doesn't say you should be really forgiving. And he, he kind of says all those things. But the main point that he's trying to say is this first thing that I want to highlight in here. What verse is this? In, in verse 6, he says, He did not consider his equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. That's something I just got done talking about. Many people all over the world would tell you the point of earning all the money that you earn is so that you can leverage your cash power to get the things that you want. No one calls it power, but that's what it is. If I would like to buy a million dollar house someday, what am I going to do? I'm going to work hard and earn enough cash power to be able to purchase a million dollar home. There is nothing wrong with that. But what is a problem is when we start to treat people in our lives in the same way. The way that we're going to get somebody to do what we want them to do, the way that we're going to make things happen that we want to have happen, is do a good enough job of gaining enough power, gaining enough status, gaining enough situation to be able to use that on other people for our own advantage. A good, I, I probably will use this a few times. I, one thing I told Kevin I'm worried about with this series is I have all these things that come to mind when I'm talking about this, but I gotta make sure I save some of them for like sermon five and seven and eight. But one of the things I think about a lot is if you ever hear someone in a church setting say something like, well, we gotta be careful if we're gonna make that decision because some of the people that donate a lot of money might get upset and might leave. Guess what we've done immediately? is we have immediately said that the people who have the most leverage on what we as a church do are the people that have the most power. And what are we defining that power as? The people who donate the most money. Is that yourself in a situation where you're looking at someone and going, I want you to know, I'm taking my money and hitting the road if you do that. You have just done this passage that I think uh, goes hand in hand, that stands out, is you see throughout this passage that Christ has a downward trajectory. You can see it visually. It says, Jesus, who was at the very right hand of God, he did not consider the equality with God something to be grasped for his own advantage, but he emptied himself and making himself nothing, taking on the form of a person. He lowered himself. And not only that, he didn't just come to be a person that was a king. He came to be a person who was a servant to everyone. And beyond that, he even went lower to the point of actually dying a disgraceful, shameful death. Don't you see? It's kind of beautiful how the song works. It's articulating someone who served and washed people's feet. And you'd think, well, that's low enough. You know, the word actually that says servant, you could translate it slave. So he's there. And now, wait, he doesn't even just stop there, but he lowers himself even further to a place of shame and a place where everyone would say, oh, man, that is as low as it gets. 
And this is the place where it says, and God exalted them to the highest place, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow and every tongue confess. And I just think it's so interesting that we serve a Messiah where every, I believe, almost every other system in the world, this is part of why I believe that you can't, you cannot believe that Jesus and Christianity was made up. Because no one would make this up. If you're Jesus and you're a king, you know what you're going to make up? You're going to make up a religion that makes you the wealthiest, most powerful, most influential person in the world. And yet, Jesus, in the Bible, the most influential word, the most influential person in human history, did it not by taking his power and increasing it, by taking his power and making it nothing. Isn't that fascinating and incredible? And Paul uses this to say, when you want to, we want you to get along with each other, and you think, well, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to use my leverage. I'm going to pull my, you know, this into the situation. I'm going to pull my this into the situation. Christ is actually the way that you're going to get along with each other is by constantly trying to find ways to let go of those things in order to have a relationship with people. Jesus Christ wanted a relationship with you so badly that he gave up his, his being at the right hand of God. He gave up his king. He gave up his life so that we could all be together. That's pretty cool. I want to tell you real quick about a person. Uh, his name is Henry Nouwen. You've probably maybe heard me quote him here before. He's a very influential author in my readings. Uh, I, I actually, my first sermon series I did here was called The Life of the Beloved. And I talked about how, just like with the communion, we are, we are chosen, we are blessed, and we are broken, and we are given. And how as Christians, our life is to be chosen, to be blessed, to be broken, and given. And that book that I used was written by Henry Nouwen. And the cool thing about Nouwen, I'm about to read a long quote of his, is Nouwen lived out this in his life. He was a professor at Harvard and Yale and Notre Dame. One of the most critically acclaimed professors, people would come from all over to hear him speak, to read his books. And at a certain point in his life, he decided to resign from his position at Notre Dame, or it was either Notre Dame or Yale at the time, and he became a pastor at a community of mentally challenged adults. He decided to give that up so that he could become a pastor and minister for these adult, mentally handicapped people. And he wrote this quote, and I think, I think it's pretty incredible. Uh, I think I have it here on my page, so I don't have to read it up there. <coughs> the story of our salvation stands radically over and against the philosophy of upward mobility. If you know the word upward mobility, that's just a way of saying that everything we do in life is about trying to get to that next step of whatever it is to become more successful. Upward mobility. The great paradox which scripture reveals to us is that real and total freedom is only found through downward mobility. The word of God came down to us and lived among us as a slave. The divine way is indeed the downward way. Indeed, the one who was from the beginning with God and who was God revealed himself as a small, helpless child, as a refugee in Egypt, as an obedient adolescent and inconspicuous adult, as a penitent disciple of the baptizer. Let's talk about John the Baptist. As a preacher from Galilee, followed by some simple fishermen, as a man who ate with sinners and talked to strangers, as an outcast, a criminal, and a threat to his people. He moved from power to powerlessness, from greatness to smallness, from success to failure, from strength to weakness, from glory to ignominy, which means disgrace or shame. By the way, I looked that up. 
I didn't know that. The whole life of Jesus of Nazareth was a life in which all upward mobility was resisted. That's a pretty powerful quote right there. And you're probably sitting there going, so does that mean I shouldn't work hard to be good at my job? No. Does that mean I shouldn't work hard to try and be successful at the things I do? No. But what that means is we always need to be on alert. That the world is going to try and convince you that there is winning in life and there's losing in life. That there's success in life and there's non-success. What's the opposite of non? What's, what's the good word for failure? There's winning and losing. There's success and failure. And Jesus Christ, in many ways, has taken everything that this world says is successful and is winning and has flipped them upside down and has said, the failure and the losing, that is where I reside. I want to challenge you every time you find yourself going, well, I'm going to push back with Drew on that because I'm, I'm going to all week also. I'm going to have my moments where I'm like, well, does that apply here? Does that apply here? Keep doing that because God is at work in you when you do that. Because I want to encourage you that as we read through the series, you're going to see constantly that if we win in this life, there are many ways in which we've lost in the one that matters. If we find our success in our relationships about leveraging power, we've often, lost, we've often lost the game that Jesus Christ cares about us being a part of the most. We serve a Savior who found a way to say, I see the way you think we have to win in this world. I see the way you think that Christians have to rise above in this world. And I challenge you to see that the way I'm going to demonstrate that is over and over by giving up by surrendering, by humbling myself. And in that way, when we join him in that, just like Christ, we too will be able to be lifted up like him, seated near him, worshiping him at the end of all this. And we get to be a part of that today. So this series is an invitation to all of us. Jesus will reverse all of our expectations of what it is to have success, what it is to win. If we win using the methods of the world, we will have lost. And if we lose with the methods of Christ, we will have won. So I want to encourage you, if any of you uh, have any prayer requests or anything that you need, if, if any of you would like to talk about more about this conversation, we'd love to talk to you. Elders are going to be standing at the doors if you have any prayer requests. But I want to encourage you throughout this week and throughout this series to be thinking about what it means to have power and what it means to have the power that comes through Christ's emptying power. Let's stand as we sing this song.